Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. If you want to hear something or from someone on this podcast, feel free to let me know on Twitter at BWWMATT. Today, I talk with Brett Ciancia, the publisher of Pick 6 Previews. Pick 6 puts out an incredibly detailed and in-depth and interesting preview book every year. And the independent pundit ranking site Stassen.com, S-T-A-S-S-E-N, has rated Pick 6 the most accurate college football predictors over the past seven years that they've been publishing, besting the legacy brands like Athlon, Phil Steele, Street and & Smith, and others. In our conversation, we discuss why Brett has so much more confidence in the Buckeyes than his prognosticating colleagues, the unique metrics and analytics that he uses to make his picks, why he thinks that he's seen enough from Justin Fields and Ryan Day to put Ohio State in his college football playoff, and we break down the rest of the Big Ten as well. At the end of the episode, Brett also has a discount code if you want to buy his predictions book, which I did before he gave me the discount, unfortunately, and I highly, highly recommend it. So stay tuned to the end of the episode for that. And if you aren't already following him on Twitter, you can find him at Pick6Previews with six spelled out. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Brett Ciancia. I guess the first question is because of the change for Ohio State at quarterback and coach, a lot of the more traditional ESPNs and and a lot of the prediction uh, magazines throughout the year have their hesitations about putting Ohio State to where they have been for the past decade in the Big Ten. You not only have Ohio State winning the Big Ten East, I assume the Big Ten title uh, as well, because you do have them in your college football playoff final four. What was it about Ryan Day and Justin Fields that gave you the confidence to put them back there when so few of your predicting colleagues uh, felt comfortable in doing that? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Again, thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate you finding the book and giving me a great review there, and and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm excited to talk all things Big Ten and Ohio State with you. So, We'll start here. Uh, it starts at the top, right? Uh, yeah, I do have Ohio State winning the Big Ten East, unlike everyone else that has Michigan. It seems to be the consensus pick. Um, and to me, really, uh, yeah, you asked about Ryan Day and Justin Fields. It really didn't start there with me uh, when I picked Ohio State here. I really looked at that defense because last year, uh, yes, it, it was not the usual Ohio State defense, right? It was. It looked slow at times, uh, really struggled, giving up a ton of yardage against teams it shouldn't have. Uh, when you break it down, it was, it was number one, it was extremely young. Uh, you almost bring the entire defense back. I think they're top 10 in returning production percentage. A lot of guys back. It's going to be way more veteran than it was last year. So number one was you. Number two was, I think, an overly complex scheme with uh, Shiano and Grinch, which when you look back in, you know, in film study and everything, when you see the linebackers looking, quote, unquote, slow, I think it's really that they were hesitating and trying to read very complex schemes, um, that their playbook was really complex. So what we saw with this new staff, this new defensive staff, is they said, hey, give me that playbook. I'm throwing it out the window. Uh, a lot less complex. Let the athletes run loose. Let them play. And when you break it down, they, Ohio State still has the talent advantage. And not only the Big Ten overall, but the Big Ten East. They're uh, in the five-year recruiting trend. They're number three 
And uh, there's a huge drop-off to get to Michigan and Penn State after that. So it's the most talented roster. I think now you have a less complex defensive scheme. Let those athletes run wild, and I think you're going to see a faster-looking team this year, at least defensively. So that's where it started. Um, but then when I looked at the offense, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely certainly a question mark at quarterback. Um, I thought that by now we're recording here in August. I thought by now we'd have seen more progress uh, from Justin Fields. Me too. Uh, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very limited sample size we had on him, which was uh, – you know, some, some snaps at Georgia where they put him in in kind of a wildcat situation or it almost seemed like they were playing him as a running back, but uh, very limited passing there. In the spring game, a lot of people will just see that 10-second highlight of, of the long ball and think that it was a, you know, he was airing it out. I actually, it looked like he had some struggles. And even on that one highlight I just referenced, that ball was way underthrown anyway. It was a great play by the receiver. So uh, I think there's still a lot of development needed there. Um, this offseason, I did have a chance to talk with Brian Hartline. And without getting into too much of the details, he was very excited with Fields and his development in the passing game and his comfort in the pocket. You know, he's a very elusive player, a very creative in the pocket kind of guy and almost Manzellian in that perspective. So I think a lot to build around. Um, and then one last point uh, with Ryan Day, a lot of my colleagues in the predictions world, uh, right away they see a coaching change. They think that's a red flag. We can't have them win their division and they throw them out. But for me, we already saw Ryan Day, uh, Ryan Day's Ohio State last year in September. You know, those three games, including taking down a, a very talented TCU team before they got injured. I know that TCU tanked later in the year. That was due to extreme injury. That was a good win. And uh, I liked that he was able to adapt the offense to the personnel on hand. Uh, under Urban Meyer, it was a 65% to 35% run-heavy offense. ton of quarterback power with Barrett and Braxton Miller. And, and yes, it worked. But what was going to work in 18, 2018 was uh, way more passing with Dwayne Haskins there and the speedy receivers, spread the ball around. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm very confident on both sides of the ball. Uh, we, we like that confidence uh, he, uh, for, the, for the Buckeyes. We <laughs> appreciate sure. that. But um, what was interesting is, is you said as you were breaking down uh, the footage of the defense, um, obviously you did your previews for every – power five team how much time does goes into watching film talking to people to be able to put something as all-encompassing as this together yeah yeah thanks uh so i estimated at around a thousand hours of time all by myself it's a one-man operation here pick six previews so this is the my book is the end result of over a thousand hours of uh game tape you know re-watching games spring games tried to watch everything that was televised or uh, I had access to with spring games, uh, calling coaches, calling coordinators, listening into local podcasts and radio. Cause you know, you guys are, you guys are way more local to the source. A lot of these national guys don't touch into the details. So I go right to the source. Uh, yeah. So hundreds of hours with that research, I developed my own advanced metrics over the years, but the key uh, differentiator between mine and maybe some of the other analytics guys is that yes, I have the underlying analytics and numbers, but I, I wanted to put it in more of a readable format, you know, use actual real words, unlike maybe a, you know, a certain well-known uh, publication that only uses abbreviations every other word. Um, I, you know, I bring it more stylistic, more easy to read, and really just put it in football terms, man. I'm a football guy. You just want to read football stuff. You don't need to see all these decimals and weird numbers. And, you know, so I made it readable, but also dug into some of the program history, the coaching schemes, the X's and O's. But kind of my own angle on the whole preseason preview publication. So, so that's what all went into it. Yeah. In one of the, this is not necessarily a, a revolutionary metric, but one of the things that you include 
in the previews for the teams is the 10-year recruiting trend. And we're part of SB Nation, so we know about Bud Elliott's uh, blue, trip, blue chip ratio. What is the correlation that you've seen when you're doing your breakdowns between the the 10-year recruiting trends, which obviously 10 years, nobody that was recruited 10 years ago is still going to be on the team. But how does that right. decade's worth of data impact what we see today obviously if we can understand four or five years because those are players who are potentially still in the program but what is the benefit of going back an entire decade yeah it's interesting uh so in this in this graphic that matt's referencing it's a 10-year recruiting trend on the far right in the bar graph i have the five-year spread as well so that bar right there the five-year bar really lets you know that the current rosters make up how they you know average over the uh, out of the 65 power five programs the reason i throw 10 years in there and I show at the bottom each coach that was the head coach that year. Uh, so for Ohio State, I'm looking at it. You have Trestle in 2010, Fickle 2011, the Meyer stretch, and then Day. So basically why I went 10 years back for this graphic is because I like seeing how the current staff is doing within the program context. Because, you know, a top five class at, say, Oregon, like they just pulled off in February, isn't what you'd ex- isn't the same um, you know, expectation as you have as a number five class at Alabama, which is actually a down year for Nick Saban. So you look at I like to see the whole uh, program context and history there to be able to evaluate the current staff's efforts and see if they're trending that way up. But one thing I want to note about recruiting is uh, a lot of guys, it's, it's the be all end all as reporters and as prognosticators that it's just the recruiting number and that's it. I'm going to rank them that way uh, in terms of relating that into wins. But I've thrown in a couple other metrics, uh, one called player development and one called win conversion. Basically they're, they're fancy ways, or not even fancy. I'm just saying they're ways to, look at how a team recruits and then how they're converting that talent into draft picks or wins on the field via scheme, development, weight room, culture, all those buzzwords, but with a number on it. And uh, the reason I did that is because, um, yeah, a lot of people only value the recruiting number and that's it. But I think you got to look at a couple examples. Look at USC, uh, the way they recruit their top five every year in recruiting, but whether it be they're not getting buy-in, they're not getting great fit, they're not getting great schemes and coaching, they're not producing, right? And on the flip side of that, you have a team like, say, Wisconsin or Northwestern recently where they don't recruit very well. So you can throw that recruiting racking out the window. But the, the way that they develop their players and they have an identity and, you know, they know who they're looking for, uh, they convert that into wins. So I'd like to say that you start a recruiting. It's definitely a starting point. But uh, you got you to see what the staff will do with it over the course of three, four, and five years that the kids are on campus there. And how does that break down for Ohio State? Are our programs like Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama naturally at a disadvantage because they recruit so high. So they don't obviously have much yeah, room to right, move right. if they, so, if, if they go well. Yeah, exactly. So, and I do put this in the book that uh, the, the one caveat with these two metrics, the player development and win conversion, they're really, uh, you, you find out the most information at the extremes. So uh, a team like Alabama and Ohio State, who they're number one and two every year in recruiting, number one and two in draft picks and in wins. They're a, they're a net zero, if you can imagine that, right? right? So they're doing as you'd expect against the recruiting expectations. So they're middle of the pack in these metrics, which means they're doing great. I mean, um, but you want to look at the extremes, like I mentioned, like a Texas, who they're very high in recruiting, low in wins, low in draft picks relatively. So they're terrible in these metrics. And, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you've been watching these games over the last five, ten years. But Texas is usually overhyped. Um, in the same sense, you have teams in the Big Ten like Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, maybe a Utah who – they don't recruit very well, and uh, but very on the other extreme, uh, produce draft picks and wins. So 
I think that these two stats are very valuable on the two ends of the spectrum. You can really pick out what staffs are doing well or, or failing at. So basically closer to zero is meaning that whether they recruit well or not, they're basically performing at a level of where their expectations would be. So that's not necessarily right. good or bad. Um, but if they're lower, obviously they're not living up to their recruiting expectations or if they're higher, they're outplaying their recruiting expectations. Right. Exactly. That's, that's a good way of putting it. So in Ohio state's case, it's not to worry that you're middle of the pack in these metrics because the recruiting so high, that means that you're, you're playing up to that number three recruiting. And I think that's pretty fair to say that the last five years, it's really been Bama, Clemson, Ohio state are the, the really the three. Um, I know that the Alabama and Clemson have become a kind of a duopoly in the, in the title games recently, but I mean, Ohio state, you can, I put this in the book too. You can tell a, a sign of a dynasty when you really remember every loss. I mean, you look back at these, the <laughs> Purdue, people always won't forget that one, the Iowa, uh, the Michigan State in the snow the one year, 2015, the yeah. blocked field goal against Penn State. And, and the fact that I just named off, that's every regular season loss right there, that uh, that pretty much shows you how rare they are and how special the Urban Meyer era really finished off. So that's all a compliment to Ohio State there. Yeah. Okay, so you – also broke down the seven position groups nationally and ranked them one through 15. And Ohio State shows up in the top 15, actually the top 14, in all seven uh, unit groups, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, and defensive backs. Obviously, for some of the reasons you mentioned earlier, the offenses, for the most part, rated higher than those defensive units, but we are still seeing them come in between 10 and 14 on the defensive side. Is that attributed just to the fact that they had talent that was young and they're going to be a year older this year, or are you factoring in some of the defensive changes that happened during this offseason when Ryan Day took over from Urban Meyer as well? Yeah, I think that I'm a lot higher on the defense than most other publications. I think that a lot of them I respect what they do, but I think that a lot of them, they just will hone in on last year's stats and kind of think, okay, well, that will continue exactly as it did over into 2019. But you need to take a look at everything else like I, like I factored in. The youth last year was a big issue. That's all a year, uh, year older. And that's not all about returning starters. Every returning – I mean, no returning starters are equal, right? But when you look at it, they're, former, they're all former blue chip guys. It's no, it's no surprise. It's, the number, like I said, number three recruiting program. Um, a very proven uh, defensive staff. I, I believe in what they're doing here, simplifying it. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I think that in, you have star power at every level of the defense. Um, you mean up front, Chase Young should be a high pick. Uh, Jonathan Cooper at the other DN spot. Cornell and Hamilton in the middle. Linebackers, uh, yeah, I mean, I mentioned they looked a little slow, but that was they were some, a lot of scheme. Yes, yeah, yes, they, but they were slow they were, as well. They were. <laughs> they were, but I think you're going to see an improved unit for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm too optimistic, but I do like the simplification. I think Harrison's a stud there. And then the secondary, I mean, I, I call them D-back U. I know the Florida schools love to argue about it and LSU a little bit there. But Ohio State, really, I mean, the last, you can even say 20, 25 years has been D-back U and wide receiver U uh, just churning out guys every single year. And they've been able to recruit all over the place, too, going into Texas and Florida for some of these guys. So, and then obviously locking down the Midwest. So I'm, yeah, I'm very confident with the personnel on defense. Yeah. So let's quickly run through some of the other big 10 teams and how you have them. A lot of people are excited about Michigan because of the fact that if, 
they can't win this year, when are they going to have a chance to do that? You do have Michigan coming in second in the Big Ten East behind Ohio State. So I assume that means you have Ohio State beating Michigan. But what kind of forecast do you have for the team up north? Yeah, well, team up north this year, I think that they have their own version of John Cooper. I mean, the guy, he uh, turns oh, out solid oh, teams. Or that was the best thing teams, you ever but... said. That, that was the, that was the way go. to win my heart there, uh, Brett. Yeah, there's your soundbite, Matt. I mean, <laughs> but it's true, though, when you look at it. I mean, this is a top-10 program, Michigan. Uh, they're, they're, they're fielding great defenses, top three defenses every year. So a quick rewind. Last year, I actually did have Michigan in the playoff. I, I thought there was a, a, an avenue that both Ohio State and Michigan could have made the final four, and that's what I went with last year. And uh, looking back on it, it really wasn't that crazy of a pick. All that needed to happen was if Michigan would have taken care of Notre Dame on opening weekend there, and then if Oklahoma's two-point conversion against Oklahoma State didn't go. That would be it. It would have been Ohio State, Michigan, both in there. Notre Dame and OU out. Anyways, they were playing a playoff caliber football all the way until that final Saturday. Uh, you saw they were bringing in probably the top defense in the country. But uh, Don Brown, I love the guy. He's, he's, a, he's a defensive genius. But he stayed too long in that blitz, uh, you know, the heavy blitz and the man-to-man on the outside. And you saw Ohio State's receivers just running crossers all over them, uh, getting their speed advantage, and, and, uh, and they put up 62 on them. So, I thought, you know, your quote you just used, I thought last year was the year. If not last year, no way this year. I don't see it ever happening. I mean, um, she's talking about 14 out of the last 15 are Ohio State, and uh, I think it's going to happen again. I think that they lose a lot of personnel on defense. The star power with Winovich, Rashawn Gary, Devin Bush, uh, even a, a, a blue chipper that was coming up the ranks, and Aubrey Solomon's gone. Uh, so I think the defense takes a slight step back. Maybe still top 20, but not top three. And then offensively, they're trying this big offensive change going from what's traditionally a, you know, an under-center power eye, traditional Big Ten offense. They're trying to go spread with Josh Gaddis, and I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit pessimistic about that change. So those two things factored together. And, uh, and actually also a schedule bonus to Ohio State as the easier draw out of the, out of the West. Uh, that, that factored in only a tiny bit. But So, yeah, I have Ohio State 1, Michigan 2, and that's, that's going against the national consensus. Yeah, so you've got Ohio State 1, Michigan 2, but the third team that's often mentioned at the top of the East, Penn State, you actually don't have third. You have Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State, who obviously Michigan is never going to be supplanted as Ohio State's rival, but Michigan State has been the thorn in Ohio State's side far more often in recent years than Michigan is. So why do you have Michigan State maybe jumping Penn State and James Franklin uh, in in the rankings where a lot of people think that James Franklin might be, with Urban Meyer gone, the best coach in the conference. Yeah, you're right about bringing that up. I didn't even think of it that way. The Michigan State has been the uh, the thorn on Ohio State's sides. I guess so has Purdue. They've been a Buckeye killer too. But with Michigan State, you think about the uh, the 15th team in the rain, or the snow there, the 13th title game, yeah. uh, even the 98 muff punt, right? I think there was a muff punt that game. Ohio State should have been playing for a national title in 98 the, the 98 another one where sparty struck yeah the 98 one is the one that haunts me the most so thank you for bringing that oh. up i appreciate it oh. but uh <laughs> but yeah in terms of this year um yeah a lot of people are high on penn state they, they certainly have the recruiting edge over michigan state but i'm a little bit uh i'm not so sold on james franklin right now i mean um yes they had some great offenses in 2016 and 17 they were they were brilliant 11 win seasons both times and a big 10 title but the, the brains behind that operation was joe moorhead uh, when he came in, he turned it completely around, maximized the talent. And once he left, you saw the offense tank a little bit last year, at least in the past game. But now you take away Trace McSorley's 
you know, 80 to 100 rush yards per game in scramble, uh, you know, scramble situations. Um, so you lose your proven leader there. I'm not so sure about uh, James Franklin. Saw some play calling issues. Obviously, the game you guys were in with them. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a little bit lower on now. I think Penn State's defense will be very strong, and uh, a lot of a lot of All American caliber guys, All Conference guys over there. But if you're comparing them to Michigan State, I'll take Michigan State's defense almost over anyone. So uh, up front, they have Kenny Willickis back. He could have gone pro. Uh, same with Raekwon Williams. He's back. So the front seven's real stout. Um, and then I think that what happened also last year at Michigan State that no one really is talking about is the injuries. And uh, the wide receiver court was absolutely decimated with injuries. You, you lost uh, Felton Davis for half the year. Cody White broke his hand. Uh, Stewart was hobbled throughout the season. So I think all that injury of luck or, you know, misfortune, I think, reverts to the mean this year. They'll be way more experienced. They'll probability-wise be healthier. Same thing with the O-line that was banged up. I think they're all back. So, uh, And I finally think that the worky, so I'm, I sound like a, a beaten record here, but he was also injured and he's back healthy. So I think you see a lot of games with Michigan State and they're kind of flying under the radar. I have them 13th overall. Yeah. So let's let's go over to the West real quick. Um, you do have Nebraska not only winning the West, but you actually have Adrian Martinez as the first team quarterback uh, in the Big Ten all-conference team. So I assume that much of this in Scott Frost's second year is going to be tied to the arms and legs of their QB? He's a huge factor. And uh, I got a little bit of pushback about that all-conference all pick, but really what it came down to was, I mean, hey, I'm sitting here in August or you know July when I wrote it. Who, Out of all the Big Ten starting quarterbacks, who would I want under center right now from what I know and what I've seen on tape and you know, and through experience? And I think I go Adrian Martinez. Uh, yes, Justin Fields theoretically has the higher ceiling, but the, you know, they're one overall rating. But I haven't seen it yet in, in limited samples. So, and, yeah, and, I, I love Martinez. And in fairness, you do yeah. have Justin Fields as the second team QB for uh, the Big Ten team. So it's not like you were short-shifting him too much. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I just think I've seen more from Adrian. That's, that's not Fields' fault. He had Jake Fromm in front of him. But, but yeah, I think a, a lot of the other reason why I have Nebraska high, and it's actually funny when when the, the previous year's season ends up around November, December, I start you know thinking a little bit towards the next season. And I thought I had a gem here with Nebraska. I'm like, you know what? This does look like a top 20 team. Uh, they, they should be more than the 4-8 and eight record. I ran them through my game grader formula. They were more like an eight-win team last year, just some bad breaks. And, uh, and, and lo, lo and behold, here we go. Six months later, Nebraska is the trendiest pick in America. Everyone's got them top 15 and even higher. So it makes my number 20 overall pick uh, look kind of tame. But, um, yeah, you mentioned Martinez. That's a big key. More so to me is the second-year strength and conditioning boost they're going to get under this new staff, the Frost staff, because the previous regime, Mike Riley, you know, his California West Coast roots, they didn't touch a squat rack. I mean, they really lost their Husker power strength edge. So uh, I think finally you get back to their roots there, their Midwest strength roots, and um, I think you're going to see some gains along the offensive and defensive lines, which is much needed for them. Yeah, I I don't think you're going to have to convince Ohio State fans that Nebraska was better than their record was in 2018 because they gave Ohio State – all that they could handle last season. And uh, Ohio State was lucky to get out of that game uh, with a victory. So I, I, I don't think you're going to need to convince folks too much about that one. So, um, okay, so let's close out the conversation now. We've talked about the Big Ten. Now let's talk about your final four here. You do have Clemson as the number one seed. You have Georgia as the number two seed. Ohio State as the number three seed. And Utah, an interesting pick coming out of the Pac-12 uh, as the four seed. So that would mean Clemson versus Utah, Ohio State versus Georgia. Um, 
as you're looking through, obviously, the three teams other than Ohio State, how are you handicapping this Final Four? Yeah, so as you can imagine, I made a lot of new friends from Utah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of Salt Lake City people coming out of the woodwork. Uh, I love those guys. Um, so here's where I broke it down pretty quickly. It would be, obviously, there's five power, five leagues, four spots. Right away, I threw Clemson in the number one spot. It's a very down ACC right now. The usual powers are down. I think they'll coast to a, a number one seed. Number two, I had Georgia coming out of the SEC. A lot of almost everyone has Alabama. Really, what this came down to was the last two times these two played. Let's be honest, it was a 95% win probability for Georgia. Um, that, that I'm talking about the 17 national title and the 18 SEC title. Um, so I think that really, it's not even a hot take to say that they should or at least could have won both of those. So they're right there, talent-wise, are equal. And factor in now that it had been Nick Saban for a decade with the number one recruiting class. Finally, Kirby Smart broke through three, three cycles ago, took over the number one spot. Those guys are all in their third year on campus. I think that that core really lifts the talent group above Alabama this year. And I think that they're going to uh, finally get it done in the SEC. So I have them two, Ohio State three. So for the final spot, it came down to my Big 12 champ or my Pac-12 champ. And I looked at these Big 12 guys, Texas and Oklahoma. I think they're going to split their series. I think they'll have a rematch in the Big uh, Big 12 title game to split that series. I have Texas losing to LSU. I think Oklahoma will trip up with a pretty weak offensive line this year. Uh, those quarterbacks, I know Jalen Hurts is there and Tanner Mordecai is a stud at quarterback too, but I watched their spring game. They were running around like crazy in the pocket. Just losing four offensive line stars might be too much for them. So basically, long story short, how I arrived at Utah, Utah, number one defensive line in the country, uh, a coaching staff that in my metrics I spoke of at the beginning, the player development and the win conversion, they're top three in both of those. So they really do the most with uh, with low talent or you know low on paper talent, if you will. So number one defensive line, experienced defense, proven staff, fourth-year starting quarterback, fourth-year starting running back. They were playing playoff caliber football, according to my game grader, in October before the starting quarterback, Tyler Huntley, and the running back, Zach Moss, went down to injury. So with those guys back, another year experience together and a proven receiver core, everything kind of aligned. And I looked at their schedule. They actually miss Oregon and Stanford out of the north, so they get a great advantage in the cross division. And they're non-conference. They don't play a single power five team. So it's manageable. I think that they can even afford to lose at Washington in, in November because I predicted they'll have a rematch with Washington on championship Friday uh, for the Pac-12 title. And I think if they avenge that loss there, that'd be enough on the final day to, to surge into the playoffs. So, and, uh, and I know right away there'll be pushback saying it's an easy schedule, but you look at Oklahoma last year, to, to be quite honest with you, I thought Ohio State uh, deserved that bid. Because when you look at it, Oklahoma didn't play anyone particularly out of conference either. And the Big 12, to me, was pretty down last year. You had four coaches fired or, or retired. The usual powers were down. Um, and they lost Texas in, in September and October. Uh, had that rematch opportunity, took advantage of it on championship Saturday, and glided into the title. So I think that in the same rematch type thing, 12-1 and Utah, I think would make it. So that's how I arrived at that Final Four. Okay, so those all seem logical. What happens from there? Do you do you even venture a guess once it gets there? Is it just a crapshoot once you get the final four teams in the mix? Well, I'll tell you what that uh, Georgia Ohio State matchup. I didn't really even do it on purpose, but after it came, you know, after I arrived there, I thought, man, that's going to be the Justin Fields show. The whole reunion there, it's going to be incredible. Um, so I mean, that one is. I think that one would be more of a close game. I do think Clemson would handle Utah because at that point what some are calling a young defense on Clemson's side of the ball. Even though Brent Venables gets young guys a ton of snaps more than that, more than the average, 
Uh, I think Clemson's going to fire, uh, you know, be able to fire on all cylinders there in January. I think I take Clemson out of that final four pack, and I, I hate being boring on the radio and that podcast, but I mean, Clemson is <laughs> the prohibitive favorite for me. So that seems safe. Seems but, uh, safe. Yeah, imagine those storylines over the field game. My gosh. Yeah, I, I uh, would not mind. And like you said, Ohio State, one of the benefits that Ohio State has is very similar like what you were saying with Clemson. Uh, they are breaking in a new starting quarterback who has not yet distanced himself from a couple grad transfers who he's competing against for the starting spot. But the first four games of the season, save for Cincinnati in that second game, which I think is actually probably a much more nerve-wracking game for Buckeye fans than most people outside of Columbus anticipated actually being. But they've got FAU, Cincinnati, Indiana, and Miami before they take on Nebraska in September. So that gives Justin Fields an entire month to get ready. And I think that even amplifies itself mm-hmm. even more if they do make it to the college football playoff. I, I don't expect him to be throwing the ball anywhere near where Dwayne Haskins was last year, obviously. But I think by the time they get to the playoffs, get to the, the Michigan game, get to Penn State game as the as on senior day, um, I, I think that we will see a much different quarterback from him than we do in that first month because he's just going to have the opportunity to play, which he didn't get to do last year in Georgia. So I'll take the chances against Uga. Uh, in the final four, if that's where it ends up with, because I'll be much more confident in Justin Fields than I would be if that mm-hmm. game was, say, week two or three. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And then uh, I know uh, not to overlook Cincinnati, because I think that 2002 team had a scare with Cincinnati. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but pretty much every week that year was, was a scare for the O2 team, but they were resilient as heck. Um, yeah, one thing you mentioned about, he's not going to be throwing as much as Haskins. I, I totally agree. I think Ryan Day showed that he'll adapt to his personnel. With Haskins' arm, his NFL arm, you guys ended up actually with the second most pass attempts in the country, besides only Mike Leach, the uh, the air raid pirate up there. So, I think uh, yeah, he'll he'll play with his, the cards he's dealt, and uh, it's a five star card. So you'll see how how far he can take you. It's exciting. Yeah, and not to get off to a to a tangent too much, but you mentioned the fact that Haskins was you know the second had the most second most passing attempts in the country last year. What's staggering about that is because many people in Buckeye Nation, so to speak, were really down on the offensive line, despite the fact that they really held up pretty well in pass protection uh, for for Dwayne Haskins last year on the running game. That's where they kind of struggled a little bit more. So I, I think a lot of people underestimated how good that offensive line was. And when you lose four out of five full-time starters, they had some part-time starters that are still coming back. When you lose four out of five full-time starters, there needs to be some folks stepping up in to take over that those positions. And we're hearing about a lot of the position battles now, but I think that's an undervalued uh, area that not enough people are looking at with the excitement about Dwayne Haskins and J.K. Dobbins in the backfield and all the receivers are there. But on the offensive side of the ball, they're going to need to be able to gel quickly on that offensive line to have anywhere near the potential uh, to score points that I think a lot of fans are anticipating them having. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you're right on with the numbers, too. The numbers reflect everything you just said there. Um, in, in pass pro last year, they were a top 15 unit there in sacks per attempt. So, yeah, even though he's throwing a ton of passes, the sacks were low. Uh, a little bit lack of a first down push in the run game. So that's reflected in what you were saying as they struggled a little bit in, in run blocking. Um, I will admit that out of all the position units, a high um, – Offensive line is one of the more difficult to to really observe. Sure. You tend to rely more on more on the experience levels coming back, uh, more about you know reports you hear from practice. I mean, so what I'm hearing is yeah, Thayer Munford is definitely the rock to build around. But uh, I think that I mean you look at the recruiting trend. I hate to keep bringing it up, but recruiting trend and they've been proven producers here. So 
I don't, I don't see it as a red flag. I think that you have very talented players. It's just a matter of finding the right, the right five to play together. Like you said. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm not sure how much it makes it into your preview, but someone, the, the player who's going to probably be starting at uh, left guard was an all big 10 guard last year, except for it was for Rutgers in graduate tra- transfer Jonah Jackson. And then you have the two top rated guards in the 2018 recruiting class in Wyatt Davis and Nicholas Petit Frere. Wyatt Davis is probably penciled in to start already. Nicholas Petit Frere very well might win. So like you said, it's a combination of some experience with Thayer Munford. You throw in the transfer with Jonah Jackson. You throw in some highly touted uh, recruits like you were talking about that that pipeline of blue chippers. And uh, hopefully they're able to gel. That's, you know, I think offensive line is probably the the position group that needs to be a cohesive unit more than anybody else, probably. And uh, that's really the thing for me is not talent. It's being able to play together in a symbiotic way to do all the crazy, intricate things that an offensive line has to accomplish. I, I, I agree with all that. But yeah, that wasn't enough for me to, to, to knock Ohio State off the number one tier there in the conference. So if that's really the only issue, I, I think that, like you said, the pipeline's strong, and uh, I'm expecting big things. I think the more the bigger question mark for me, just because I thought that by now, you know, I released the book in whatever mid mid July. I thought that by now I'd be hearing a little more positive energy from the quarterback spot. So that's something to keep an eye on. Some of it could be some coach speak to try and push both guys and push the whole quarterback room to compete. But uh, I mean, I really want to see uh, Justin Fields come out and look like the polished guy we really think he can be. So the, the ceiling's sky high. It's a matter of getting them reps, game reps, experience with everyone in the system. So very exciting. Yeah. Well, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Why don't you tell everybody where they can get the book and where they can follow you on social media and all of that stuff? Yeah, thanks. So it's, uh, it's at Pick 6 Previews is the Twitter handle, and it's Pick6Previews.com. Uh, you'll see it's all spelled out, P-I-C-K-S-I-X Previews.com. You'll see in big font, 2019 season preview book. Uh, that's where you can find it on there. You'll see sample pages too. I know it's probably the first time you're hearing about my preview. So I wanted to put some sample pages out there so you can see the, the set of infographics I have, the level of detail that I go into for each team. I have a couple teams sampled up there. I have some, uh, reviews from some national media, some other local podcasts. Uh, so yeah, I would love to get you guys to check it out. And, uh, as a way of giving back to, to the podcast and for Matt for having me on, I want to extend a discount code too. So Cool. When you log on there, just type in just type in Buckeyes if you're interested, and I'll get you a nice discount here as we uh, as we near the season. So I appreciate you having me on. No, thank you. That's great. I wish I would have known that before I bought the book, but that's fine. Whatever. I'm not <laughs> I'm not bitter about that, Brett. But uh, thank you so much. I'm excited to kind of follow along and see how the predictions are. And you do uh, have a podcast, and you tweet things out during the season too. It's not just like, hey, here's the preview. Now we're done until next July, right? Yeah. So that's that's really how I uh, tried to build up my. You know, the brand itself has been original content every day on Twitter for the last seven years. We build a following there and try to put my own original take on it. Sometimes Twitter becomes kind of an echo chamber from the national media, but I, I have my own angle on everything and uh, people seem to enjoy it. So I think the Twitter's the main thing. Uh, we do do a weekly show in the fall previewing some of the big games coming up, but um, really it's, uh, it's the everyday Twitter, which I think your fans will enjoy, uh, and then the big book in the summer, so... I really appreciate all the all the kind words there for having me on.
thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. Thanks to Brett Ciancia. You can follow him on Twitter at Pick 6 Previews. And to get our special discount code, go to Pick6Previews.com and type in the promo code Buckeyes. If you are finding this podcast on our website, LandGrantHolyLand.com, make sure that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts in order to get all of our unparalleled podcast coverage coming up this season. That will include this show, The Mothership Hangout in the Holy Land with Colton Denning, our State Secrets Recruiting Show, Outside the Shoe, which is our OSU Olympic Sports Podcast, OSU Press Conference and Interview Audio on Uncut, and a few other new surprises that will be announced later this week. Don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33 and on Facebook at LandGrantHolyLand. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And go Bucks.